0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for joining me today. Here's what uh, Utah author Betsy Scow writes in her blog. So much of my life revolved around gaining weight, losing weight, BMI, whether I was pretty enough, smaller than my husband's secretary, or whether I would squish Santa if I sat on his lap. Yes, I was fat, but so are many others. That size two gym bunny staring at herself in the mirror and pinching her non-existent saddleback. Fat, at least in her own head. Obesity is an epidemic, but so is this unquenchable drive to be better, thinner than the woman standing next to us, even if that woman is just me looking back from the mirror. Finished Being Fat, the title for the blog, came from my desire not to whittle my waistline, I'd done that already, but to stop being fat for good, in my mind. Betsy Scow is author of a new book, Finished Being Fat, An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight and Learning How to Finish. Betsy Scow joins us from her home. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hi,
1: thanks for having me.
0: And we're joined also by her husband, Jerem Scow. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, Betsy Scow, I wonder, maybe a good place to start would be to have you read the introduction. Do you have your book with you?
1: Um, not on me, but I can grab it really quick.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and because I think that sets it up really, really well. Um, This is interesting because, uh, as you write on your blog, uh, the the original title of your book, I can't remember what it was uh, supposed to be, but uh, something about finishing. finishing, Philosophy of Finishing. But uh, your publisher said that maybe wouldn't be sexy enough, so... Yep.
1: uh, It it, was just not marketable enough. It wasn't (laughs) grabby enough.
0: That's that's right. Because uh, the book is very much about finishing uh, as well as losing the weight. So I wonder if you could uh, read... it's It's a brief introduction.
1: Uh, this is not a weight loss book. If you bought this book because you wanted to learn the secret to losing 75 pounds in a year, then let me stop you right here. There's no magic pill, Just eat less and run more. This is also not a book about how to run a marathon, even though I include a lot of stories about running. No, this book is all about the things I learned while I was losing weight and running that changed my life forever. I've taken all my little duh moments when the light bulb finally turns on in my brain and found little inspirational cubby holes to put them in, otherwise known as chapters. I'm not a doctor, motivational speaker, elite athlete, or anything in between. My name is Betsy Scow, and I'm just a stay-at-home mom of two, former fat person, marathoner, mountain climber, and finisher. I didn't set out to change my life, but like some of the best things, it kind of happened by accident. At first, all I wanted to do was lose a few pounds so that I could look in the mirror and not cringe. The other things I just figured out on the way when I started paying attention. The process started with the sound that often accompanies the moment when you know your life has somehow gone awry.
0: And that's a moment, that's chapter one, that begins with a thud. (laughs) I wonder if you could tell that story, beginning with your relationship with your scale. I think a lot of us can relate to this.
1: Yes, the uh, scale and I had a hate and more hate relationship, where uh, it haunted me regularly. I either would avoid it altogether, or visit it up to 10, 15 times a day, just, just sure that this time it would be different, this time I'd be just a couple pounds less. Um, and it has haunted me my entire life, starting, uh, basically at 12. Uh, but to this day, I just thought I hadn't been on it for about a month and said, today's the day. I'm going to go see where my progress is. And, uh, I've been kind of trying to, to stay fit, just going by the fit of my pants kind of thing. Um, but didn't really know how much I weighed. And so as, as every woman knows, you have to, uh, to get up in the morning, uh, make sure you haven't had anything to eat or drink, be completely naked, and go step on the scale and suck in your breath because that might make a difference, (laughs) and just gently step on the scale. And this morning I was 10 pounds heavier than I was the month before, and that was a shock. And so I backpedaled off the glass scale so quickly that um, I tripped, fell, and the scale uh tipped up and then crashed back down, broke the scale literally, and uh just reverberated on my travertine floor and echoed throughout uh the bathroom and Then, you know, I just was sobbing <laughs> and uh and beating the scale, pretty much hitting the scale, and just going, "No, it's not true um i before I fell off the scale, i uh got on it again and tried. Just thinking, oh no, this can't be right. I I must have misstepped, and it had like um, I think it was point two heavier than five seconds before that. And it was just this (laughs) image in my head of just getting huge on like a daily basis. By like two o'clock that afternoon, I imagined I would have gained five pounds, and the next day another ten pounds, and just this hallucination kind of um, echoing through my mind, and so. Uh, that's how my husband found me that morning. Was hysterically crying on the floor mm. and beating the scale and <laughs> naked and just sleepily coming in, kind of blurry eyed, going, "What are you doing? What's well,
0: let's, wrong with you?" Let's turn to Jerem, get his perspective on this. Uh, I wonder what what your thoughts are when you you hear the thud. You you come in. Here's quite the sight. Uh, that, you know, one of the things I hear with this story is the things we do to ourselves.
2: Uh, sure, um, well,
0: <clears throat>
2: weight has been a, a concern and an issue for Betsy for uh, for years and years and years, and so, uh, you know, that's been a big thing in our marriage is, is the complaints about, you know, how heavy she was, how heavy she felt, how, uh, you know, she's always asking, does this make me look fat or things like that, and so... So that was probably, uh, well, maybe not finding her on the floor crying, beating the scale. But that was a fairly regular thing in our marriage. Was her coming in and upset about uh, how how heavy she was, how overweight she was, or uh, you know how she how she felt um, so bad about uh, uh, where she was with uh, with her latest diet. Um, uh-huh. So yeah I mean as a husband there isn't you know much that that you can do other than uh you know try to be there and and support her and uh and uh, uh. Tell her that uh, that it's really not the end of the world.
0: <laughs> I, th- I was reading. Um, you were featured in an article in the Wall Street Journal. I was talking about um, mixed couples. In this case, uh, one couple who's thin, one couple who's uh, one one of the couple is is heavy. It uh, puts a real strain on, on the marriage. There have been studies on this, and you, there's some quotes from both of you uh, in this. Maybe starting with Jerem on this question. Uh, I, I guess this this can put a strain on the marriage.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think some of the things that I was just talking about there were, for her, it was it was a real focus and it was a real uh, problem and it was something that uh, I couldn't relate to very well. I was, you know, the thinner one. Uh, she was, for, you know, the first ten years of our marriage, she was always uh, heavier than I was. and uh, And I think that Kind of magnified the problem for her that she felt uh, uh, even worse about it because she was married to someone who was who weighed less than she did.
0: Uh, Betsy, th- this I think this illustrates, uh, you know, for most of us, it's uh, you know, there's there's something internal there. It's it, you know, I think you are an emotional eater as, as many of us are. You're it's something behind there's something behind the weight gain.
1: Yes, you know, you're you can be fat. And unhappy. Um, someone said this to me recently, but if you don't fix the latter one, you'll never fix the first one. Um, and it's hard. It's a vicious cycle because we're unhappy because we're fat or we're overweight. Um, and we're overweight because we're unhappy, because we have that emotional eating. Um, I totally grew up with the food was the fix for everything. If you did really well on a test, you'd go get a dessert, a treat. If you failed that test, you'd go get a dessert or a treat to make you feel better. Food was, you know, a physical fix to an emotional problem, and I had a lot of emotional problems. And I think that uh, it just magnified in our marriage in particular that uh, I was unhappy in a lot of places in my life, uh, where I was professionally, where I was um, physically, uh, and where I was, you know, with being a mother and a wife. And... um, the weight was just an easy physical representation that I could point to and say, "Ah, that's it," without digging deeper into myself because I wasn't ready to do that
0: yet. Mm-hmm. I want to want to take you back, Betsy. <clears throat> there's a there's a passage in the book which <laughs> I could really relate to, even though it's uh, cringe-inducing about your about your father. Bless his heart, <clears throat> what he was trying to do. Uh, but first of all, um, Jerem, the strain on your marriage. This there were a lot a lot of scenes. Some of this in the Wall Street Journal article. There's one point where. it, I think you cleverly forestalled uh, Betsy leaving by going out and uh, removing the air from the tires.
2: Uh, that's yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> that was at a at a time in our marriage when uh, we had kind of grown apart, and uh, and Betsy was was really unhappy with her life, and she was looking for a change. And I think she was just kind of fed up with everything, and she said, "That's it. I'm packing up my stuff. I'm." leave it and so when she went in to uh pack up some clothes or whatever i walked out to the garage and let the air out of the tires <laughs> said no you're not going anywhere <laughs> let's stay here let's talk this over and work it out your,
0: your feeling was you you could work it out if you just uh sort of forestalled her a bit yes
2: yeah. yeah yep
0: what were your thoughts betsy you'd, you'd you're packing your suitcase i think <laughs>
1: Yep, uh, that was my, I was just done at that point. I think it was uh, five or six years into the marriage. And, uh, well, yeah, I think it was about five. And um, we got married, I was very young because I went to college very young and so met him very young and then got married very young uh, just after 19. And so I had this feeling now, being several years into the marriage, that I hadn't lived yet. And so I was unhappy with being fat. I was unhappy with being a suburban housewife. And, uh... I wanted more. I had dreams of Broadway, of being this, you know, New York Times bestselling writer, and I just kind of placed all of that blame and unhappiness on our marriage and said, if it wasn't for you, then maybe I could do this, and so I'm just going to leave. I'm going to start over, I'm going to burn this bridge, and go, and uh, and that's what I had set out to do, and there was no driving on on flat tires. I thought about it for a minute and realized I wouldn't get very far, and uh, and so he was able to calm me down and we talked about, um, you know I was I'm a very emotional person and especially when I was overweight and on antidepressants, uh, I would flare up easily, and be fairly irrational. Um, so he was able to to take the time and and calm me down and uh, look at things rationally and we decided to um, move and maybe focus and spend a little more time on our marriage instead of uh, living separate lives.
0: Hmm. If you just joined us, we're talking with the Utah author Betsy Scow. Her book is Finished Being Fat, An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight and Learning How to Finish. The original title of the book was going to be the philosophy of finishing. Her uh, publisher talked her out of that, but uh, that's a big part of the book, and so we'll be talking about that as well as we go along. And we're also joined by uh, Betsy Scow's husband, Jerem Scow. They live in, I believe, it's Alpine, and uh, uh, the uh, I believe you did you two meet at BYU? Is that where you met?
1: Uh, he was at BYU. I was at UVSC uh, Uvu, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, we had a mutual friend through. Uh, his neighborhood, but that went to my school and went on a big group date and met that way.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll get to that story. I want to, before we take a break, we'll come back and uh, and get into talking about your epiphany, which also mm-hmm. involves uh, Jeremy, or, or Jeremiah, excuse me, uh, and uh, something he said sort of half asleep that was very wise. Uh, I wanted you to tell me that story about your, your father. This this You took your dog to the vet, I believe. And then your father, yes, uh, you should set this up by saying your father has struggled with his weight over his life.
1: My dad, um, bless his heart, uh, has has definitely had. He was the chubby kid in the family growing up, and uh, has always struggled with his weight. And when I was twelve, um, was on a downswing where he had lost—I uh, don't even remember—I think it's 150 pounds somewhere around there. Um, on the precursor to the Atkins diet, along with Fenfen, Fen, and was looking great and really excited about it, and was worried about me. I was 12. I was under five feet and a little hefty. I looked like a refrigerator. And he, we were at the vet um, taking our black lab for a checkup. And he just, for whatever reason, because I didn't have a scale at that point in time, said, you know what? I wonder how heavy you are. And then asked me to get on the dog scale. That That big, <laughs> Had the that looking thing that they have in the in the vet's office hmm. and so uh, i walked on the scale and it was uh 120 pounds and that is is in the overweight range um i didn't know what that meant but he made it pretty clear that that was big and that i needed to lose some weight and tried to be really gentle about it but firm at the same time as i don't want you to live my life i don't want you to go through the pain that i went through and unfortunately, um, unwillingly, it kind of set that up for. Uh, after that, every time I'd look at any other little girl, it became, "I'm bigger than she is, mm-hmm. and why can't I look like that? And I'm, I'm different. Why am I different? And so that became my first diet. I never had regular soda again after that. It was all Diet Coke. It was um, all always going to be a battle of this diet versus that diet of eating this instead of that when my sisters, who are more naturally thin, could have bags of Oreos, and I just had to have the carrot. Hmm.
0: So, and, and bless his heart, and I think any, any man or father can relate to this. Well-meaning, but, uh, but boy, you, you read that and you you think, wow. <laughs> you
1: <know? laughs> yes, he, he's very um, left brain, yeah. and was thinking in it from a very, he's a, a numbers man, an accountant and a CFO now, and he's very approached it in a logical fashion and didn't take into account the um emotionalness of of a preteen mm.
0: now this 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 perception especially self perception this gets to the heart of the matter doesn't it it's 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 how you see yourself in fact, you write in your blog that a size two model might be looking in the mirror and 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 see uh, see a fat person
1: absolutely um it is how we see ourselves, and uh i think. A lot of women relate to that, um, probably some men too, that I still struggle with that now. I've lost 75 pounds, gone down to a size 4'6", and there are still times where it feels like um, I'm worried that people judge me, especially because I have this book. I've put myself on a national stage of, is it enough? Am mm-hmm. I as good as the person next to me? As Am I good as the person that I used to be? I don't have this problem because I was never really skinny, but I know a lot of people do where... Maybe they were super thin in high school and children and life has interceded and they maybe don't feel as fit or as small as they used to be and they always compare themselves. And it's it's not about the size. It is completely in the head of not feeling adequate for whatever reason and it may have nothing actually to do with your looks.
0: And that, that's why you, uh, I think, write in your blog, uh, your, your goal is to stop being fat for good in your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. And yeah. and that's not an easy process, and I'm sure it's something that I'm going to have to work on uh, on a daily basis. But uh, it's something else that I talk about in the book called Fat Goggles, um, which is how you look at the world. It's If you look at the world with rose-colored glasses, everything, all the glasses always half full. If you look at the world with Fat Goggles, it's always about your weight and how that relates to the rest of your life. And that's one of the reasons why our marriage was so tough for long, is because everything was about my size. Whether we went to dinner at his parents' house, because all of his family was thin, and they could all eat whatever they wanted, and I was stuck to a little tiny portion. Um, Whether or not, uh, you know, I was afraid that he was cheating, because I was big, and he was small, and his secretary was small, and and I was just insecure. Um, What what I could wear to go out, because he wanted me to dress nicely, and I was more comfortable in anything with drawstring pants. Uh, It just became the focus of my life, and so I couldn't have any other life. And that's what I want to get away from, and that's what I want other people to get away from, is don't let this quest for an imaginary ideal consume your life to the point where you're not living it.
0: I want to get perspective, Jerem, on this. You, you come from a life, before you meet Betsy, of, uh, I guess you didn't have this obsessive or emotional relationship with food and, and diets and up and down and up and down that a lot of people do. Now you meet Betsy, fall in love, get married. Now you're you're having to deal with this.
2: Uh, that's very true. It was uh, it was definitely a change for me, something that I didn't experience as much uh, growing up. Although, um, you know, like Betsy says, people can feel fat at any weight, and uh, and I was certainly used to uh, hearing from my mother who. Frequently complained about how she needed to lose that last five or ten pounds. Uh, my my mother is just this tiny little petite thing. She's never been overweight in her life, but she always felt that way, especially because my uh, my dad is is a skinny little twig. Uh, he he would never tell anybody how much he weighed because I think he was a little bit embarrassed at how skinny he was, and so. So even in their marriage, you know, growing up, these, these people who had who had never been overweight, I still heard some of those same complaints and uh, and some of those same feelings. So it didn't catch me entirely by surprise uh, when I got married to Betsy. But but her, uh, you know, emotion there was was much deeper and uh, and more. Uh, and, and- and-
0: Unhappy, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I imagine that the, the you know the strain on the on the marriage in your relationship is not the weight; it's the it's it's Bessie's ob- obsessing about it.
1: It is, and, yeah. you know, yeah, I wasn't wise right. enough to see that at the time. I'm wise enough to see it now, but it was that it wasn't just you're picking on me. You're telling me what I can't eat. You're telling me what I can't wear. You know, you're making dumb comments about my what I look like. Um, I chose to make that the focus, but now I can see that it was really. Um, My addiction and obsession, uh, addiction to starting and obsession of of that perception that I was fat and unhappy.
0: Hmm. We're going to take a break, and when we come back with uh, Betsy and Jerem Scow, we're uh, going to uh, talk about that epiphany moment, something uh, Jerem said uh, sort of half asleep that turned out to be very wise. And uh, get to the, uh, this addiction with starting, and learning how to finish. The original title of the book was The Philosophy of Finishing. The title now is Finished Being Fat, An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight and Learning How to Finish. Betsy Scow is the author. We're also talking with her husband, Jerem Scow. More after the break. Can you smell them? The roses, the chocolate, the wine. It's nearly Valentine's Day. I'm Jim Fleming. Next time, on To the Best of Our Knowledge. In the name of the newly in love, the long-coupled, and the broken-hearted, we're taking a little look at love. It's To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International. Sunday morning at 9 on Utah Public Radio. This is folk singer Michael Jonathan inviting you to tune in to the next Wood Songs broadcast right here on this radio station. We have Caravan of Thieves and these guys who've been on Prairie Home Companion, Molasses Creek.
2: Be sure it's true when you say, I love you. It's a
0: sin to It's music and conversation on the next broadcast of the Wood Songs,
2: Old Time Radio. Friday nights at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm talking with Betsy and Jerem Scow. They live in Alpine. Betsy has written a book called Finished Being Fat, An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight and Learning How to Finish, published by Cedar Fort Publishing. And uh, Betsy writes in her blog about this book. She says this blog post is sort of a sequel to the book. That uh, she was fat, but so are many others. Size 2 gym bunny staring at herself in the mirror and pinching her non-existent saddlebag. Fat. At least in her own head. Obesity is an epidemic, but so is this unquenchable drive to be better, thinner than the woman standing next to us. Even if that woman is just me, looking back from the mirror. And her goal was to stop being fat for good in here, tapping her noggin. Uh, That's from her blog post. The book is Finished Being Fat. We're talking with Betsy and Jerem Scow. You're welcome to join this conversation if you have a, a comment, perhaps your own experience learning to finish. Uh, the number is one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five, or you can email us at upraxis at gmail dot com upraxis at gmail dot com. The number is one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. Betsy Scott, I wonder if you could uh, tell us that, uh, that story. You're you're having a breakdown moment. You're. Um you know, once again, I think you're uh, you're afraid that the latest diet is, is not going to last, as been, has been your experience. And uh, you break down trying not to wake, Jerem, and then uh, go from there. Okay.
1: Uh, yes, you know, so after the thud, uh, I started yet another diet, which was my go-to answer whenever I was unhappy, was try and get skinny again. And so this time I had lost about 30 pounds, and people were telling me I look great. And in my own head, I was saying, you're going to get fat again. You've gotten fat every other time. It's only temporary. And what are they going to think when they see you blow up? And uh, I took to the Internet to try and find things. I was just upset. I I was envisioning, I called them the ghosts of fat past. Um, All my other diet attempts that had, uh, I lost weight, so they were successful. Um, But because they were diets, as soon as the diet was over, I would gain All the way back plus an extra five or ten and everyone in my life watched this happen and i just broke down um and was sobbing in bed uh probably around midnight again and just trying to be quiet but i'm not a quiet crier and uh knowing without a doubt in my heart that i was going to be fat again and it would be bigger and that the rest of my life i was 30 at the time Uh, that I could look forward to another 50 years of this until I ended up either killing myself through obesity and diabetes or something else because I was so miserable and and had been suicidal in the past just from my unhappiness. And uh, so, of course, I woke my husband because, like I said, I'm not a quiet crier. And he once again said, you know, what's wrong? And I tried to convey what was wrong, but it was so big that it was hard to explain um, and then he says, like break it down for me and I just said you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get fat again and there's this little voice in the back of my head that tells me that and I know it and and I don't know what to do about it and he was tired and said well that's easy just tell your thinker to shut up and go back to sleep and he rolled over and started snoring and that worked in two ways um, immediately in the middle of the night, it made me mad enough at him that I stopped crying because I was thinking, Who says that? What husband says, shut up when you're upset and crying? And so I fumed until morning. And uh, when he woke up, he didn't recount the conversation at all. And so I happily recounted it for him and reminded him what a jerk he was. And instead of being, Oh, I'm sorry, he just thought, Wow that's a really good idea. You just need to turn your thinker off, turn off that little voice in your head, and do what you need to do to not get fat again. You already know. Just do it. Hmm. And uh, that was a kind of, a, oh, moment. One of those, duh, uh, moments that I hadn't really thought of. You expect big, huge moments to change your world, not just a little phrase or a statement that can actually change the whole way that you look at the world. And so that was the starting point of this time I'm going to do things differently. This time it's not going to be about what I eat and uh, necessarily, you know, uh, just what I eat and and taking out all these foods. It's going to be about um, changing the dialogue inside my own head and not listening to that little demon that we all have in the back of our heads that say we can't.
0: Jerem, you, uh, I guess you probably don't remember uttering that phrase.
2: I <laughs> uh, I can't say that I remember that exact time. Yeah. Um, that, that certainly sounds about right. Uh, you know, on, on my part, there was probably some frustration at uh, um, over having this same discussion again. And, uh, and at some point you've got to say, "You know, um you are who you are, and I love you the way that you are, and you have to quit obsessing about this because you're making yourself way too uh, unhappy you know if you want to change, do what you know you need to do to change or or be yourself. I love you, and let's you know move on past this and stop obsessing about it."
0: Mm. Uh, there's, I, I hesitate to bring this up, but you did you did share with us uh, with Wall Street Journal. There, <laughs> there's an, there's another famous thing you said in your marriage, um, which uh, you, you know as, as soon as it left your mouth, I'm sure you're wondering what why you said it, but it had it had a had a big effect.
2: Uh, yes, unfortunately, that was earlier on in, in our marriage before I learned to uh, be diplomatic and uh, and probably a little bit like you know, Betsy's father. I'm I'm more of a left brain kind of numbers person and uh, and one time I was I was busy with something else and and she came into the room and and thought she might uh, uh, spice things up in our marriage a little bit and she wasn't wearing any clothes and and I said something to the effect of. Uh, some people look better with clothes on, and and I didn't think that was too terrible when I said it, and then uh, and then the moment I saw the look on her face, I, I realized what I had done, and and, and I think I have regretted that
0: since. Yeah, that's 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 another wow moment, Betsy. When yeah. I, I think you didn't speak to him for a week.
2: No, but which uh,
1: isn't too hard. It was hard for me because I'm a talker. But uh, Jerem doesn't talk too often, so I don't think it was that hard on him. But I did move out of the room. Uh, I moved into, our, into the second bedroom in our home, and we didn't have children at this point. And just was like, you know what? Fine. <laughs> you think I look better with clothes on? Then, then that's how you're going to see me from now on. Mm-hmm. And, yep, didn't speak to him for a week. And that, that really drove a wedge. And for years, I didn't let him forget that And mm-hmm. any time. I needed to bash him over the head with something. That was the uh, phrase of choice that I would remind him of.
0: Yeah. uh, And uh, this goes to, you know, you're, you're extra sensitive when you're, when you have those voices in your head.
1: That's true. And especially if, if that's what you're obsessing about, um, you have those voices in your head that say you're fat, um, you're not good enough, you're a failure. So if you can't love yourself, you seek outside validation. And, that's what I was doing my whole life. And in our marriage, that's what I was doing here. And I didn't get it. Um, I mean, this was a huge no <laughs> for validation of uh, that's what I heard, is you're ugly, you're fat, you're not attractive, and I don't love you. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's what he intended or not, that's still what I heard. Yeah. And it was just further proof of that that little voice was right, that I was unlovable, uh, that there was something wrong with me. And it just kept um, kept the vicious circle going. And so what do you do? You eat more, you get bigger, and you just become more and more unhappy.
0: And for Jerem, uh, I'm guessing, you know, very sincerely, you'd probably tell her, I, I love you the way you are, et cetera, et cetera. I just want you to be healthy. You know, things you probably would say, but it's it, hard to get through to her if she's got that vicious cycle going on.
2: It is that's right, I mean when when you're feeling bad about yourself, you hear things like that, whether they were you know intended that way or not, of course, in this case i I had no intention to convey any of those sort of messages to her but but you hear those kind of things and and it reinforces those bad thoughts that you have about yourself and and you don't necessarily hear the good things that people are saying about you, so uh yeah.
0: Uh, Betsy, I wonder if you could, uh, take us, draw the line from this moment when, when your husband, uh, told you to, uh, to, uh, tell your thinker to shut up and do something about this to realizing that you were addicted to starting, but you had trouble finishing and, and coming up with this philosophy of finishing. Uh,
1: it was just, there's no, yeah, big moment, um, of epiphany. It was all the little things I just started when I turned off the dialogue in my own head through, um... There's kind of three steps of way of doing it. Initially, I just drowned it out. Um, I would uh, sing over it. If I went to the gym and the little voice would tell me, go home, you're tired, you can't do this, it's not going to make a difference, Um, I would just sing over it loudly on the elliptical. I'm sure people thought I was crazy, but it worked. And uh, the next step was um, changing the dialogue by talking back to myself. I felt like an absolute fool. I'd been told to do this in therapy many times and refused to do it because I thought I looked stupid. But this time I decided, all right, I'm going to do this. And so I would look at myself in the mirror and say, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want. You're not a quitter. You're awesome. Go do it. Um, and I felt absolutely ridiculous. But it started hearing myself give me the validation that I'd wanted for so many years um, it started to sink in, and I started to believe the things that I was saying to myself. Um, and then that third step is, is just knowing, uh, and we'll get into this in a little while, but the, uh, after you start finishing things and have that proof that you can show, that little voice in the back of your head, so every time it says you can't, say, yes, I can. Look at all of these things that I finished. And, and you have that proof right there at hand in your own head. And then that voice shrinks and it really disappears because it knows that it can't win. Mm. Um, But I started um, in the gym, just continuing, because at this point that's all I still wanted to do. I still just wanted to lose weight. I still wasn't planning on changing my whole existence. And uh, my husband decided um, that now would be a good time, since in our marriage I was always the overweight, unhealthy not exercisey one and now I was actually getting fit now was the time to broach the subject of one of his lifelong dreams which was to run a marathon and I laughed because um our four-year-old can run faster than either of us at this point I get out of breath I was getting out of breath going to the mailbox so it was it was inconceivable to me but he kind of guilted me into it and so I said all right fine this is your dream I will support your dream let's do it. In the back of my own head, I'm thinking, there's not a chance in holy heck that we can do this. So I just need to keep pretending until he quits. That's all I have to do. There was no thought in my head at all that we would actually run a marathon. It was just, let's see how long I can last until he quits. That was kind of the epiphany moment. um, After doing that for about a week and he didn't quit. And then two weeks came and he still didn't quit. That I realized, How sad is it that I'm going into this grand thing planning to quit ahead of time? And I started looking at all the things um, around my life and realized that I'm losing weight. Uh, I'm about 50 pounds down at this point, and I'm still unhappy. I still feel like I'm not good enough, Um, not because I'm this size or that size, but because I'm a stay-at-home mom, because I don't have a career, because I'm not doing the things that I'd always dreamed that I was doing. And the reason why I didn't do those things is because that little voice would always kick in and tell me, you can't. You're a failure. No one wants to listen to you. No one wants to read what you wrote. Um, I'd get 50 pages into a grand novel and quit because I was afraid of that agent or editor telling me, no, you're awful. And so it was just easier to tell myself that and and go away. And so uh, I realized that I quit But I kept starting new things because you have that, uh, I call it an addiction because that's exactly what it is. When you start a new project, you get excited and you have that thrill and the endorphin rush and uh, you're excited about planning and and all these things that you imagine are going to happen to you someday because of this thing and you start and, and you feel wonderful for about two weeks. Um, and then the reality sets in, and either the results are not what you'd like them to be, uh, it's harder than you thought it would be, or you have that little voice kicking in telling you to quit. And so you do, and I did. Uh, and every time I'd start something, that little period of the high would get shorter and shorter and shorter until, uh, you know, it was basically even a one-day thing for me, is I'd get excited and then quit the next day. And uh, I came to that realization that that was exactly why I was unhappy, Was because all of the everything that I failed to finish that I started sat in the back of my mind, and that's what that little voice sat on. It sat on this giant wall made up of my own failures, and I could not see past that to a world beyond that where I was successful. Hmm. And um, that's how I learned to finish and learned that. Finishing has its own high, and it's even better than starting. And at lasts. You get to keep it. In races, we have something called finisher's medal. You cross the line, you get a medal. Uh, and in my own life now, whatever I do, I get to keep that feeling that I get to point and make a different mountain that I get to stand on now and point to all the finishes that I have accumulated under me and say to that voice when it says, no, you can't write this book. No one cares about your story. I can say... I can write this book. Look at all of the things I've done. Look at all the hard, difficult things that I've done. I'm worth it. Just watch me. Hmm.
0: We're talking with uh, Betsy and Jerem Scow on this uh, program today. Finish Being Fat, An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight and Learning How to Finish is the book. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk more about this philosophy of finishing, which I believe the whole family has embraced. Uh, Betsy writes. Uh, we'll talk about uh, those uh, fat goggles and, a, and a, an important experience Betsy had looking back, looking at some pictures of, of the past, and to uh, talk about a, a, an important experience running a half marathon, preparing for that uh, that marathon. That's when we come back, following the break.
2: Are you looking for clear and concise car advice? You pour it into the engine, into the engine where you would normally put the oil. And fire her up. Fire her up, and you let it run. For how long? Well, as then. long as it takes to blow up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then there's a lot of controversy there's a lot of controversy about how long. Join <laughs> us as we demystify more
0: car problems. <laughs> this week on Car Talk.
1: Saturday morning at ten on Utah Public Radio. Repeat Sunday at five.
2: Waste not. Studies show leaking faucets and toilets account for as much as 14% of all indoor water use. That's 10 gallons per person per day. By replacing an old toilet with a new model, the typical household can save up to 21,000 gallons of water per year.
0: Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash public On Access Utah today, we are talking with Betsy and Jerem Scow. Betsy's author of a book, Finish Being Fat, An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight and Learning How to Finish, published by Cedar Fort. We're talking about this philosophy of finishing that uh, Betsy came up with, with the whole family has now embraced. Uh, uh, Betsy, I wonder if you could uh, complete that thought. You, you write that you made a commitment to never quit, but that was only halfway.
1: That's true. Uh it started with the the no-quit pledge, but um, I needed to go past that. I wanted to become a finisher. And so instead of just not quitting things that I started, I started to seek out things to finish and going after my dreams and going uh, after things to accomplish uh, instead of just sitting by and letting life happen to me and accepting what came.
0: Very, it's become very important in your life. Uh, Jerem, I wonder if you could tell us about this half-marathon Uh, And uh, apparently Betsy was very concerned. One of her biggest fears was she would be the the last finisher. What what did you tell her?
2: Um, Well, my attitude uh, was always that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where we come in. In that line of people, I knew that we weren't going to win the race. But I knew that as long as, uh, you know, we finished, that uh, that we had accomplished what we set out to do, and and I was going to be happy no matter where I finished. So I encouraged her to do the same thing.
0: And I think you said that at least you'd you'd finish behind her. You'd promise her that, so she wouldn't be the last <laughs> last person, right? Yes. So it's quite an exactly quite right. <laughs> quite an adventure, uh, but you did finish that half marathon, Betsy. What what were your feelings then? Um, it was.
1: The biggest, aside from having children, the biggest accomplishment that I'd ever done. And uh, it was amazing. I felt that starter's high times a 1,000. It was like being on, cliche aside, cloud nine. Um, and I wore that little finisher's medal around my neck, and my kids kept wanting to take it off because they're like, Mommy, Mommy, it's so pretty. Let me wear it. And i was like, uh it, it's mine. But they would ask me, did you win? And uh, you were right earlier that, uh, that Jerem did point that out to me. I was really concerned that we would finish dead last, and he would say, don't worry, I'm, you're way faster than I am, so I'll finish dead last, and you can be second to last, but at least you'll beat someone. And that was all I cared about. But then after the half marathon, I realized I had no idea where I came in in the standings um, or how fast I was or, or compared to other people. I did something that I thought I couldn't do. And that gave me a feeling that was unparalleled to anything I'd ever felt before and had nothing to compare it to. And uh, so when my girls asked me, did you win, I said without hesitating, yes, um, I did, because I finished. Mm-hmm. And that started a train of thought of, oh, that's when I'm going to be a finisher. This, this no-quit thing is great and all, and that's, that's really important to do in your life is not give up. But I'm going to be a finisher instead instead of just not being a quitter, I'm going to go after everything. And so, uh, because I'm kind of an addictive all or nothing personality, that's what I started to do with everything. It was I just started tackling and going after things to to forget the fit the starters high, but to recapture that finisher's feeling. And so I'd clean this room or or go after this or go after the next thing and just keep accumulating these accomplishments. And I started to feel better about myself, and I started to build that little mountain in the back of my head. And the the voice just started disappearing because I was proving that I could move past all these failures. I could do the things that I didn't think possible.
0: What are some of the things you would tell people about this philosophy of finishing? I think one, one thing you say is uh, finish something every day. That's one thing.
1: Yes. Um, even if it feels like... It's not worth finishing or it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It does. It'll bug you. It'll sit in the back of your brain going, yeah, all those uh, scrapbook papers. hmm, They're sitting there for something. Uh, It doesn't matter too much, but it'll still bother you enough and it still adds to that feeling that you didn't follow through. So uh, I would say don't start something until you make that commitment that you're going to finish it. Um, I do say finish something every day, and you don't have to fill that mountain in your own ma- uh, mind with grand things, like writing a book or, or running a marathon. Those are great things, but, but it can be doing the laundry. And so when a lot of people write me now and say, that's my story. I know exactly what you're talking about. Help me. That's what I say. It's right now, until the book comes, go do the laundry. You'll feel so much better. Go do something that's been bugging you, that's been sitting on the back of your mind that the dishes, whatever it is, just something in your life that you feel you don't have time to do, and get it done, and you'll feel so much better. Um, The philosophy of finishing is, quote-unquote, not everyone can win the race, but everyone can finish it. And that's going in with the idea, I think a lot of people go into the projects with this idea, and I did as well, that I had to be the best, I had to be uh, the fastest, the brightest, and if I couldn't do that, it wasn't worth doing. And so because I didn't do these things, I felt like a failure. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And that's what I was learning through this adventure is you don't have to be the best. You don't have to win that race. You don't have to be a New York Times bestseller. You just have to share your story. You just have to get to that finish line and do the best that you possibly can and move one step forward. And as long as you don't give up, you will be a success every single time.
0: One of the elements that resonated with me is: uh, don't get paralyzed by the, the by the you know the list in front of you. Let some of the lower things on the list uh, go. Uh, uh, Jerem, um, you've been inspired by this, I think, and you've you've gone back to finish your degree.
2: Uh, that's right. Uh, I don't know. I I think sometimes that that Betsy may have uh, gotten some of these ideas about finishing from watching me because I love to uh, start new things and and I don't always follow through. Um, I have a hundred different hobbies, and I tend to jump from one to the other depending on uh, depending on the month or the time of the year or <laughs> whatever it is. But uh, but yeah, I started uh, college back in the mid '90s, and uh, and when Betsy and I got married, I got a full time job, and I started to go part time, and then I started just take one class, and then I wasn't taking any classes at all, and and before i knew it you know 9 years had gotten by and i had, i hadn't gone back to school and finished that degree and and finally one day i woke up and realized you know it if if i keep saying you know someday i'll go back and finish the degree then i never will you know but let's make today the day that i decide to go back and uh, i went back to school and and uh, i'm halfway through my last semester now so uh yeah, I'm almost there.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations, really congratulations. Thanks. We've reached the end of our time. Congratulations, Betsy, to the on the book as well. Thank so, you so much. Well, it Looks uh, like it's getting a lot of buzz.
1: Throw a uh, shout out that uh, I'm going to be at Desert Book in the next to the University Mall on Friday at five o'clock, and in Fort Union at one o'clock on Saturday. So uh, the book is sold out at the publisher, so that's one of the few places you can come get it. So come visit.
0: Uh, excellent couple events You can go and get, meet Betsy Scow uh, Betsy Scow and Jerram Scow Have been my guests uh, on the program today Finished Being Fat An Accidental Adventure in Losing Weight And Learning How to Finish uh, Published by Cedar Fort Publishing Is the book uh, Betsy and Jerem Scow Thank you so much
1: Thank you for thank having me
0: Join us tomorrow Sherry Cohen will be in with science questions And uh, we're putting together a program on air quality We uh, hope if we get that together That'll be on Monday Thanks for listening to Access Utah Today.